Hello, you are listening to the podcast, What is up with Belarus? Here, I'll be introducing the Belarusian protests in 2020, an event that has had a significant impact on many international relations and caused by various ideas and strategies through international relations and geopolitics. Throughout the series, I'll be introducing various events and connections, as well as some Belarusian history that have led to the forming of their society today. The final goal of this podcast is to not only get you to know more about the Belarusian protest, but to make you observe how everything is interconnected, whether it is politics or not, and to look at how your actions are developed by your thoughts, just like how our society is developed by different ideas and choices. A great way you can help this podcast is to sign a petition in the description, but before you do so, make sure you know what you're signing for, which is something I'll be explaining through this series. Before getting you to know more about the protest, here's some basic information about Belarus and everything you will want to know before getting more specific. First of all, Belarus is a country in Eastern Europe that shares a border with Lithuania, Latvia, Russia, Ukraine, and Poland. It is a landlocked nation. Approximately 80% of the ethnic groups in Belarus are Belarusian, which makes up the majority, followed by Russians, which make up around 10%. And many of those Russians that make up Belarus's ethnic groups are people who have immigrated to Belarus during the 1960s to 80s, along with Poles, Ukrainians, Lithuanians, and other minor ethnic groups during the Soviet times. The official language of Belarus consists of two languages, which are Belarusian and Russian. Belarusian is an East Slavic language written in a Cyrillic alphabet with influence of Polish and Russian, which may resemble the history of Belarus. Now is a very important part in understanding the nature and approaches of Belarus, which is the economy. There's been a vast change in the structure of Belarus's economy throughout history, particularly between the Soviet times and after independence. After the Second World War, their agriculture was almost destroyed, and as Belarus, as an independent nation attempted to rebuild its economy, it ended up relying on other countries. This can include other Soviet republics, and among those, they strongly relied on Russia because of its raw materials that can be used to generate energy, which becomes electricity for the Belarusian people. And as mentioned before, Belarus is a landlocked nation, meaning that the method to generate electricity or energy in general is very limited. And because of the limited materials or supply, and even if they were to buy materials, they were really expensive, which decreased the production of Belarus in the 1990s. And because of this, during this time, while many former Soviet republics were moving towards a market economy, Belarus was left behind with very little private enterprises. In case you don't know what a market economy is, it's basically an economic structure where uh, price is determined by supply and demand rather than just products being state-owned. And what this means is that there should be a good balance between public and private businesses. And in order to somehow solve this uh, market economy issue, Belarus sought stronger economic relations with Russia, and again, because they had very good and a ton of resources. This bond between Russia and Belarus can still be seen today in the 21st century, where Belarus and Russia are very close economic trading partners. 
And although there have been some conflicts regarding oil and gas prices with Russia, which I will be explaining in later episodes, Russia still remains to be Belarus's largest import and export partner. And this tie with Russia has led to a significant economic growth in Belarus, which further led to an increase in the trade with other countries, as well as the European Union. Now, this is something that you may want to know, which is the power balance in Belarus. After Belarus's independence, a constitution has described the Republic of Belarus as a democratic and social state, which assured a variety of rights and freedoms in 1994. And although Belarus was an independent nation, among with other former Soviet nations, it remained under Soviet sovereignty. So elections, national budget, military, and a lot more were controlled by the Soviet power. However, this constitution was later reconsidered, which led to the expansion of power for the president, Alexander Lukashenko, who has been in office since 1994 and still remains to be the president of Belarus today. And because Lukashenko had more power, he was able to extend his term in office and rule Belarus, which is why he's the first and current president for 27 years so far. Although Belarus has been able to become more independent and have more power over its country because of its renewed constitution, the power given to the parliament and the National Assembly is still very little. And this can be seen in how pro-Lukashenko candidates tend to win more votes than candidates of other parties, which is also pointed out by international observers to be unnatural or undemocratic. Very similar things apply to media, where media is strongly regulated by the government with very limited options to choose from. There are around three main newspapers, which are offered in Belarusian and Russian, and those newspapers translate to Belarus Today, People's Newspaper, and Star, which are all issued by the national government or the state. They also have opposition newspapers, but they are also very limited where the government determines whether the newspapers can be issued looking at the content. And again, likewise, there are very few Belarusian television channels and very limited access to Western television programs, along with several Russian channels that are broadcasted. And most of the radio broadcasts are operated by the government. And looking at international viewpoints, as I mentioned before, a lot of international observers tend to be pretty critical towards the Belarusian government, particularly on Lukashenko's place and their authoritarian power since 1994. Likewise, Belarus is also considered the most repressive nation in Europe, also called the last dictatorial nation in Europe. And this aspect can be seen in the ways of staged elections, where candidates in the opposition of Lukashenko tend to be silenced, exiled, or occasionally jailed along with some anti-government individuals. And this is something I'll be talking about in later episodes as well. Now I'll be explaining the basics of the protest. In August 2020, Alexander Lukashenko, the first and current president of Belarus, as I mentioned before, claimed to have won more than 80% of the presidential electoral results 
which many Western governments have claimed the election to be falsified and undemocratic. And in response to the announcement of Lukashenko's victory, citizens from all across the country have responded with an enormous protest, turning into a violent one after police intervention. There have been massive violent clashes between the protesters and the police to an extent that the police were spraying tear gas, arresting thousands of protesters, as well as even beating many in order to maintain their governmental power. And as a response, some protesters have become more aggressive towards the police, which includes throwing stones and aiming for them. What this did is that it increased public anger and aggression towards the authority. With just one week after the election of the 9th of August 2020, a massive crowd, which was estimated around 200,000 people, gathered at their capital, Minsk, to demonstrate against Alexander Lukashenko and his rigged election, which further put pressure on Lukashenko to back down. However, despite the growing pressure, Lukashenko did not show any signs of moving down, but instead turned to President Vladimir Putin to seek help. This is one example where you can see this like strong bond between Russia and Belarus that has been going on since the 90s and still continues today. Now I'll be introducing the short-term causes for the protest. First, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya was the main opposition or rival in the presidential election on August after other opposition leaders have been jailed or received other negative responses from the government, such as exile. And one of them was her husband, Sergei Tikhanovsky, who was a blogger and had a pretty strong presence since he was the previous main opposition candidate to Lukashenko. And what this indicates is that Lukashenko was prepared and had this vigilance towards any opponents in the election to maintain his absolute power. But before the election, not only were Belarusians the one being arrested, but so were the Russians. In fact, 33 Russians were arrested from the allegation that they have attempted to disrupt the election, claiming that they were aiming to sabotage Belarus. And along with them, some international observers that have pointed out the unfairness or lack of freedom in the past elections were also arrested. As soon as the victory of Lukashenko in the election was announced, protests were held across the country, with the largest one in Minsk. Including the very first night, for three days in a row it occurred, again leading to a police aggression and the disruption of peaceful protests with the use of tear gas, stun grenades, rubber bullets, and batons. And not only was the response of the government just physical, but also through the internet. Large portions of internet access along with phone services were shut down, mainly in Minsk, followed by thousands of protesters being detained, leaving many injured. Here, they have clearly indicated that they stayed loyal to Lukashenko, which shows that it is likely for him to stay in power for longer. However, despite the conflict, protesters continued their demonstrations to increase pressure towards Lukashenko, 
in one of the many footage showed factory workers in striking and repeatedly chanting messages towards Lukashenko, essentially telling him to leave. Now, what were the responses of other countries? Well, the responses of other countries or organizations really varied from one to one. Most of the world dismissed the election, with one of them being the United States, where they indicated that they had deep concerns towards the conduct of the election. On the other hand, in China and most of Russia, they seem to have congratulated Lukashenko's electoral victory without questioning the fairness or any parts of the rigged election. Although Putin congratulated Lukashenko's victory, some high-profiled Russian politicians, particularly the ones that are allied with the Kremlin, expressed their doubts towards the fairness of the elections, claiming for the election to be a falsified one. Now, as for the United Nations, they have condemned the violence done by the police, and they have clearly indicated that the police's response to the situation was a violation of human rights standards and expressed that people have the right to speak up and that freedoms should be upheld instead of suppressed, according to the New York Times. Now, I hope this covered all of the basics about Belarus and their 2020 electoral protests, and I hope to see you next episode too, where I'll be explaining about the first long-term cause of this protest, the independence of Belarus. If you've learned anything from this podcast or would like to express your thoughts on this, it would really help if you could sign a petition which is linked in the description to support or oppose the Belarusian protesters. Thank you for your attention and hopefully see you next time.